0: Hey, good morning. My name is Matt Sergeant copper and uh, I get the privilege today to sit down with First Special Forces Command's uh, new Chief of Staff, Colonel Pat Nelson. True honor to have him come on. This is the first episode that we've been able to record with him, but also with a new PAO team, and so it's good to be back and uh, getting some stuff out there. Colonel Pat Nelson is a uh, phenomenal leader, but I've had the privilege of serving under him now for a second time, and I, I can honestly say that if there was ever a leader that I would follow into hell wearing gasoline-soaked underwear, it would be Colonel Pat Nelson. You know, he's got almost 30-plus years uh, in the Army, in the special operations, phenomenal common-sense leader. And so we're going to get down and dirty today talking about cultural and, and leadership, past, present and uh where the army's going and you know in our opinions and uh some lessons learned and and just take it from there and see where the conversation goes so without further ado colonel nelson
1: hey chris but thanks thanks for having me uh super humbled to be here uh i think i think you're exaggerating my qualifications especially in this arena i mean you know the people we serve with every day and uh i tell you like serving with guys like you is a reason i'm still in 30 years later uh what you and your team did was phenomenal i got to see it downrange and uh of course, when you asked me to do this, I'm like, well, since it's you, okay. So look forward to answering questions and just kind of having a conversation and uh, seeing where this heads. And hopefully I won't say fuck too much.
0: There's many ways that you can uh, use that word. So maybe we'll try to get through a few of them in this. I, uh, you know, I speak, yeah, I try not to ever speak uh, for my previous team, you know, just because uh, they have a voice of their own as well. But I know that every single one of those dudes would say the same thing, sir. You know, what I wanted to do with this when he came on, um, you know, I get the privilege of, of, of passing him in the hallways. And for anybody that knows me, I'm, I can be long winded and, and uh, suck you into a conversation. And so we all get to talking and I, I, I hear some of this, some of this, this opinion on culture. You know, we, for those that don't know, you know, he started out as a enlisted in the 75th Ranger Regiment at 2nd Ranger Battalion. So, sir, if you don't mind, you know, just give us a little background there.
1: Sure. So, um, of course, you know if you're a 275 person, you grew up there, a ranger from there. Um, I was a mad slasher, so very take that very. Uh, I'm very proud of that that moniker I have. Um, so, for context, Frank Grippy, who just won the Doughboy Award for a lifetime achievement in the infantry, ended up retiring as a CENTCOM CSM, was my uh, my first platoon sergeant. So as we affectionately called him El Guapo, because <laughs> he may or may not be a handsome man. Um, that's, that's the platoon sergeant I fell in under. Uh, you know, I got in the Army right after... I guess ninety one. So pretty much, you know, if uh, you're a regiment guy, you know, everybody had jumped into Panama from E four and above. It pretty much jumped into Panama when I got there. So you know, you have tab spec fours with CIBs and mustard stains, and you're this brand new private trying to survive that environment and grow. Uh, you want to emulate those guys. Uh, that's that's who you aspired to be at the time because that's your world, right? So that little platoon AO right there—that's your world. I grew up there mastered basics that's what everything was about the culture was hey being a good ranger mastering basic combat skills um, and being part of a team and I embraced that uh, when I came into the army. That's pretty much my only option. Uh, I wasn't a very good student, didn't have a lot of good career options, so uh, I enlisted thinking I'll do three or four years, get some college money, and I'll get out and go back to college. Well, uh, after my first enlistment, I reenlisted because I loved it so much and I loved the people around me. At that time, that time frame in two seventy five, if I told you the names around there, I think when I left, General McChrystal was a battalion commander in uh, late ninety six. He did my green to gold packet. I got told, hey, from my chain of command, from platoon leader all the way up, even the NCOs were like, hey, Nelson, you're going to go be an officer. And I'm like, well, you hate me that much? You want me to, like, uh, leave leave the NCO ranks and become an officer? Um, but I did. I, I embraced it, went to college, come back in, commissioned back into the infantry. Had a year out in the regular army as at one two three infantry, and then went right back to 275. Uh, that was right after nine eleven. So our first trip, 275's first trip into Afghanistan in 02 was part of that. 03 in,
0: or, to Iraq when we went. Just a great organization. I can only imagine the transition of, of leaving 275, you know, and going over to the green and gold. You know, I was a two Bravo guy. And I think actually, you know, jumping a little forward, but I think you... We're leaving regiment about the time I was getting there as a brand new private. I think we discussed that the 04 Valentine's 04 because
1: that's right. Yeah. Well, I was at uh XO over in B code. Right. And then, uh, and then I went over to the, to be the, uh, S five for the remainder of my time there before I went to Q course. Cause you know, you once, once you say, Hey, I'm going SF. Oh yeah. You know, you get the, you get the, the stank eye and the look like really, which I understand why, but yeah. So went over to the S five, do my penance in the headquarters company there. That's where
0: you got all that good sweat. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it definitely, you know, so maybe you can expound on this because I've been asked, uh, you know, many times during my 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 career, what's the difference between SF and, and the Ranger Regiment? And the best thing I can come up with is like Chick-fil-A and Subway. You know, same concept, just different flavors, different styles of doing things. What, what works for one would, would break the other and vice versa. What's your thoughts? Sir?
1: Yeah, I think… um it's the missions with two different mission sets. And so you have to have a mindset as a direct action force with it, which is what the Ranger regiment does. Hey, you know, you, you parachute on or you assault airfields and then you raid and that's that force. Uh, and so that's a young man's game. We all know that. And mm-hmm. so like learning those, mastering those basic skills, that's. And there's structure, a lot of structure in that. And I think that's important. And that's why the regiment, they iterate on that one mission set over and over and over. Whereas SF, you're almost the jack of all trades master now because you have so many tasks you have to do. And, uh, but that's why SF is a little bit, you know, Hey, more mature is supposed to be the, the, the soldier, the, the NCOs there, you know, it's, it is all NCOs. It's not like, Hey, I got brand new entry level privates. I'm trying to, you know, work multiple George cycles to make sure, Hey, they're ready to go, you know, once, once the balloon goes up with SF, you know, Hey, you're, you're, you're going into a different culture, a different mission. You're working with and through that's mm-hmm. your primary job is, Hey, how do I now teach people? So you need to be a little bit, a little bit more old, a little bit more mature, experienced, flexible, right? You got it yeah. to understand, Hey, not, not so much your way. You need to teach, teach a way, but then your partner force has to do it their way in, in context of their culture, their standards how they live and you have to be very comfortable operating in an environment where well, they're not always going to meet your expectations, right? <laughs> right? You know, so, and, and we know that. And you and you just can't go full full frontal ranger NCO CO on them, like you know you, you would. Someone you're working with, and you have to be very precise at a very precise time, and yep. you have to be able to go, okay, we're assaulting that bunker now, and that's the regiment's mindset. It's like I am ready, poised to do to do that right now. Whereas maybe over here your partner force not so much. So
0: yeah, and I think that you know the the the, the adaptability, flexibility, because you know, the maturity on both sides, you know, I've ebbs and flows, you know, I mean, we've actually discussed that a little bit. You really see a lot of, uh, you know, regiment guys are, are very, very mature leaders, mature leaders, but like they have that, 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 that mission set that they've got to focus on. But I think it's more so too, they have to almost recreate the next generation, uh, you know, and that's one thing is, it's, I think that's where a challenge is in SF is, is, you know, recreating that, that junior like in regiment they recreate that private to be the next team leader in the image of themselves you know cuz it's a challenge in SF because of the diverseness of the team you know so you you left ranger battalion it became uh went to 123 infantry went back to 275 and then you jump ship and went to SF that was probably I'd say 05
1: yeah so it went the Q course late 0 f- yeah late 04 uh 05 and uh In seventh group, kind of where I wanted to go. I've been to Panama a couple of times, uh, in Ranger Regiment, just at JOTB, dating myself again. But like, um, I love the jungle. I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to go back here. This is great. Um, I fell in on a phenomenal team, bunch of great bunch of guys, uh, ODA 726 back when we still had three numbers. Um, you know, you, you meet, meet the team. And what I found, you know, I'm going in, I'm a ranger. So I'm, I'm giving these, these dudes a hairy eyeball, like, okay, motherfuckers, what's this all about? Like, who's, Who's fucking, I got no time for fatties. I got no time for people who can't pull their weight. And, you know, you hear, and and what kind of shaped me going into my team that way was going through the Q course. And, you know, you, you know, the deal, you mm-hmm. get, there's some hot garbage going through there and it, they, they work their way out of that. You know, you get out, but like at the same time, I'm like, Oh boy, what am I going to show up to? I get to my team phenomenal. And it come down to culture, right? So my senior culture on the, on the ODA I fell into was spot on. Hey, they enforce standards on the, on the juniors. Hey, you're going to read this TM tonight. You're going to, hey, new guy, you don't talk until you've been in the team room for like 90 days. Like that was kind of the joke. I mean, I, I got to talk. Sure. But like it was like, hey, you don't really have an opinion. You need to listen. You're new here. Listen, learn. Um, it was, for me as a team leader, I didn't have the luxury. I had to talk every day. But like uh, it was nice to have a good, solid group of guys that I could gel with mesh with. Um, and I kind of lucked out my glide path on my team. So, uh, my first year on the ODA, uh, we got to train and we went down South a couple of times and we went to Ecuador Paraguay. It was good. It was a good learning environment. We could build, I could, I could understand the team dynamic. I could find the deficiencies training wise. I could prepare. And then we went to Afghanistan in 07. Um, uh, and, uh, it was a rough trip. I'll tell you, like, uh, I we were lucky. Um, I walked in with twelve. I walked out with twelve. I could say we weren't wounded. A lot of got TBI. Tons of TBI. Like we we ate so much overpressure from recoilless rifles and and RPGs, but no shrapnel. I think Chino, uh, our warrant, he got hit in the hand. And I wish I would have put him in. I should have put him in for Purple Heart. But I was like, ah, it's not that bad to buff out. But we we were lucky. We walked in with twelve. Walked out with twelve. Almost a hundred gunfights uh, during that time. That ten month trip. Uh, he- heavy kinetic, heavy kinetic trip. You're in, you're at FOB Rob. So what happened? What had happened was um mm. we were originally going to Shawwalikot, so that was our district. So you know, you you focus your area study. You're you're deep into Shawalikot You know, I understand Bacha Khan, all the dynamics of the the peacock and, and the uh Kandahar politics, how that bigger picture plays in, and. And what the threat was there. We we got up to uh Mihalik and like not even two weeks on the ground, I get a phone call from the battalion commander, Hey Pat, hey, they're opening the helmet up. We need you to stop what you're doing, do about, you know, ninety six hours of mission analysis, and then we're gonna we're gonna go up to Fob Rob. Mm-hmm. Um at the time The Brits owned. Owned a Helmand and, um, stinking. It was, it was pretty bad. I mean, they were, they were pretty much isolated down there. If you ever been down to the Sangin District Center, it sits right up against the Helmand River. Massive amount of green zone around it. They were boxed in. They couldn't get any kind of resupply in. Helicopters going in, getting shot, shot up the pretty jungle. good. The, ju- like, so they so call cool. the green zone, the Shalwa kai got the jungle in it. Yeah. Right along the, uh, What's the lake up there? Argandau by the backside of the jungle. That's a whole yeah, – I got a lot of good stories about the jungle up there. We didn't actually go, get up there that trip. But as an AOB commander, I ended up owning that AO. And then obviously a couple of times a SOTA of commander. I'm very familiar with the, mm. the jungle up there. They, they kicked us into the Helmand. Well, at the time, I, I, the British counterinsurgency strategy at the time was, hey, it's, it's more uh, carrot than stick. They needed stick. So what we had been told, intelligence estimates like, hey – you know, always exaggerated. 3,000 Taliban up and down through here in this river valley. And uh, boy, when we drove up in there, it was right in the middle of poppy season. And so it looked like there were 3,000 Muldoons in that that valley just because everybody's out harvesting poppy. We get up there and right away we go on our first CRP. We kind of plan where, hey, this is a hotbed. We've, we've done good Quick analysis. Um, and we found what we thought was a ta- Taliban C two seam. So you had where Kajaki and Sangin Taliban kind of that come together. We thought, Hey, we'll go up here and kinda of exploit this seam. So we drew snuck around through the desert, come up there. Yeah, sure enough, for the next seventy two hours I was in contact right game there. On. Yeah, it was game on. And they weren't used to fighting us. They were used to fighting Brits who would break contact typically. We weren't breaking contact and you know, we'd have to have ammo dropped out, resupplied. Like uh, we're not not quitting, so it's uh, <laughs> so it's uh, um, but it was uh, a good heavy kinetic trip. We were one of the few teams that went in there. It, w- it was good. So I had a good ODA, a good, but I had time to to kind of go in uh, with that. Um, but it was about setting the culture on the team, like you talked about, and and training, training the standard constantly, uh, training for the war we knew we were going to fight, not what we want to fight.
0: And that's a question I've got because out there, you know, when people listen to this recording, there's going to be that either brand new 18 Alpha or that 18 Alpha that's going through the training. The shutdown of Afghanistan with deployments drying up, you know, I've noticed just around here that, you know, there's a lot more guys coming through and, you know, they're they're slick on the right sleeve. I've spoken with uh, NCOs out there, I've spoken with, uh, you know, officers that that's, that's a question. It's something that they, you know, they that they've got. Uh in their mind, as is this going to be an issue personally, I say no, and the reason I say no is is because the the guys that were you know doing this on September tenth two thousand and one maybe didn't have that, and you figure it out that's why we train that's why we go that's why we train that's why there's schools that we have I mean that's just the way our system is set up to be prepared for war. What pearls of wisdom would you have for them as they're making that transition, especially on the officer side?
1: No, that's that's a great point. So we're all there. We all start off with no combat experience, right? And so um, it's it's preparing for the war you're going to fight, right? So like um, for, for leaders, to me, like in, in the fight, it's workload management. Like I told you, who's controlling the close fight, the far fight, and then the deep fight. And on a team, it's works out perfect because you have a, usually a warrant officer, a team sergeant, and an officer, and you delineate that work. Um, for the new new officers showing up to team, first thing you need to look at is your team SOP. If you don't have a team SOP, there's a sign. Like, you should have a team SOP. Uh, and it should be a hard copy uh, or on digits somewhere. If you don't have one, start building one. But that should be the foundation. Everything's battle drills. Everything's simple. Like – The more you simplify your workload prior to going to combat and you understand, hey, what my role's responsibility are per MOS, per team member on a gun truck, dismounted, wherever it is, in a helicopter, you don't have to second guess it, man. It should become second nature, right? That's what we iterate on this, but that SOP is the basis of how the team will live and die. Um, And it should get emotional sometimes like, hey – how do I sustain fire from my three gun trucks? And I want to sustain fire using heavy weapon systems to facilitate five, five minutes of maneuver for my maneuver force. Like you should be have that kind of detail when you're thinking, um, and if you're not, and you're getting people who are hand waving some of that, call them out on it. That's, that's the best thing you do. And you don't have to be an asshole about it. Just go, okay, Hey, well, how, how do I achieve suppression? What does that look like? Um, how do I gain fire superiority? What does that look and feel like, um, if, if you're not like doing that in training and you're just spinning out, you question your team when you show up, if all you're doing is flat range, like that's the first thing I tell you. If you're these flat range teams, that's what I call them. Like, Hey, I'm just going to roll out. I'm going to spend all day shooting pistol. Well, know, I'll be honest. I never killed anybody with pistol, but rifle. Yeah. I, Kill a lot of people. I tell attachments, hey, the sweet spot's three to five hundred meters with your rifle. I mean, that's where you're going to do most of your killing or your machine guns or your Mark 19s, or your indirect fire uh, systems. So think about how you're really going to kill people, because if you have a partner force in front of you, which there'll be sometimes I'll be honest. I, I had a 10 man <laughs> Afghan National Auxiliary Police to get me out of the, it was just to get me out of the wire to go down and, and fight. Right. Um, but if you have a, a full-blown company of commandos or you have a, a full-blown, com- uh, you know, um, partner force in front of you, you're going to be leading from behind them, mentoring, teaching, coaching, advising from the rear typically so they can fight because you need to be able to bring your joint enablers or you need to be able to help them lead these, these operations. Um, you're going to engage the enemy from three to 500 meters. And uh, if you do that right, one, you are being a good gorilla. You are living to fight another day. And two, you're getting effects. So it's, uh, but for the, for, if, if you don't have combat experience, don't, don't sweat that. I mean, the, the, there's a lot of people with combat experience that really isn't good combat experience. And, uh, you know, you should be able to call them out on bullshit. If it's something wazoo and it's not basics, you know, it's, you need to question that. And you need to go out to the, and then if they're saying that in the team room, Make them go out and show you that on the training field. That's that's what I'll tell you. So if someone's telling you, hey, yeah, we do X, Y, and Z, okay. Let, now you tell me about it. Let's go show me. That's that's what I, I will tell you. You don't have to be an asshole about it, but you do need to see it, and then you'll know pretty quickly when you get there to a team whether or not um hey, they're squared away or eh maybe maybe you need to take them out and make them sweat a little.
0: Because that's the thing. There's always the you know the gold standard. We want to get you know new leaders in you know right there in that red cycle and get to you know get to get to work and you know be able to have that that ramp but that's not always the case and you know that's the challenge i've noticed you know at the team level figuring that out you know because the second you take over that team whether you're the detachment commander or the team sergeant it's like hitting warp speed and i mean you're you're you know you're you're drinking from a a pretty pretty fast moving hose i don't I wouldn't go as far as a fire hose, but you're definitely you know trying to figure it out, figure it out quick, and you know it's it's funny because as I sit back and recollect on my time, you know, I can think of multitude of areas where I can think, damn it, if <laughs> I wish I'd have seen that like that then you know um and so that's the challenge that's that's something that I hope that you know out of these podcasts people are able to learn from either the the successes or the mistakes, you know, and I think a lot of it too, like you said, just is stick to the basics. If you can stick to the basics and expound using those basics, doing basic stuff. And I think that will always, that'll always, uh, I don't want to say 70% solution on time, but provide that, that, that right formula on time, then the perfect one after the fact.
1: Um, Now you're spot on. I, I think, uh, what was it? The, uh, the big four, so it was uh, marksmanship, PT, uh, first aid, and then battle drills. And then for for uh, ODAs, you you better know how to do mobility. So you know how to drive, whether it's a boat, a motorcycle, uh, gun truck. You know, hey, you need to be understand vehicles as well. Um, I think that's the key to us uh, for SF uh, for sure. If you master those those kind of skills, and you can you can get everybody on the team to do that you're going to go a long way. You're going to go a long way. Cause then if everybody understands all those, you could, you could, you could uh, easily flex or adapt to the, the operating environment. Um, you know, it's all about what you do for, for your teams when it comes back to it. Like, and at this level too, I, I pride myself in being a standard bearer of like, Hey, you know, 50 years old, giddy up, let's, let's keep moving until I, and when I can't do it no more, that's when I'll hang it up. Right. When I physically, mentally, emotionally, I can't do it anymore. I'll hang it up because I can't I can't in good conscience when you talk about standards, look somebody in the eye and tell them, hey, I need you to go assault that bunker. And I'm not physically able to or, or physically willing to do it anymore because I'm too valuable or I'm that's beyond me. Nope. At the end of the day, I don't I don't want to ever look at a team and go, oh, hey, sir, why don't you just hang this one back? You know, like, no. No, like, hey, I, I want to be the guy who's out there and, and able to help you, you know, be th- when you when you need a leader present you may not be the leader you want, but at least you got one up there. Right. You know, so like um, to help you to really be help you with that workload management, like you get back to the team, you know, uh, the workload management there. Um, but it all does come down to standards to me. I mean, I, I've seen it where, uh, you know, like guys who started off in career when they were young officers and I was uh, NCO and now, you know, they're retired general officers or whatnot. And you're just like, you know, every time I see him, even now it's like, Hey, sir, thanks for being a standard bearer or CSM. Cause they're, they're still the standard. And I'm like their whole career, they knew and they were the standard. Um, and I think I, I don't ever want to lose that because I've seen leaders that are way outside the standard. I don't, and unfortunately I don't have that here. Uh, but when I was a younger man and I was in SF, I had leaders way outside the standard and it, it like you, you kill our credibility. You kill our trust. Uh, when, when you're not, you don't know, or you or you don't be the standard.
0: It's hard too for the morale. Cause you know, it, as it, when you're starting out, you know, it takes a while to, you're just there, you know, you're, you're there and you know, you're, you don't have that voice. And so it, it can, I've seen guys actually ETS. We've lost some good solid commandos because, you know, it just was what it was, you know, with you coming in, sir, uh, here as SF command as the chief of staff, you know, uh, Representing the uh, CG's ob- objectives, and uh, is there is there anything you would want to put out or got for you know those listening that are assigned here or you know are going to be f- under your your command in the future uh, to you know to prepare and just to help them get their footing or get their direction um, or their azimuth for the next year, uh, 24, 36 months, whatever. Any pearls of wisdom, sir. Take care of your people. That's that's the number one thing. Like everybody
1: says, "Hey, what do we bring to the fight? Why is soft special?" It's our people. Take care of them. Um, Mentor, teach, coach, mentor. You know, uh, be there for them when they need to reach out. Grow your network of the people around you. Um, I think that's the best thing about this. Like I look back, like the the two things. If I'm lucky, if I'm lucky, when I walk out of the army, I tell everybody this: you'll have two things, and that's uh, your reputation. And your family, if you're lucky. I mean, it's hard because at the end of the day, and what's your reputation is like, hey, I – For me personally, what my reputation is, I never sell the guys out and never sell the teams out. And you know that my weather vane for that is, Hey, I can still go in team rooms and drink beer. That, that to me is something that I hold as my reputation that, Hey, Nelson was always there for us. He was a good fucker. He never, he never sold out the teams. And then I got my family, man, if I'm lucky, you know, I'm I'm still hanging on. I I worry about those two things every day. Um, I won't care about anything else. It's all kind of worked out. Hell, I thought I'd be done years ago, but, um. But those people, you take care of them and you, you develop real relationships. Like I said, man, 30 years later, the reason I'm still in the Army is because I still get texts and phone calls just busting my balls all the time. But it's, it's – and then it's, it comes into conversations about this profession and about taking care of folks and what the next war is. That's why I me mean personally, people, I guess I should say uh, – because that next war is out there. So you take care of your people and prepare them. Get them ready for the next war, because that's all we're about. We either train for war or we're at war. So take care of people. They're the ones who are doing it.
0: Well, Sir, thanks. Like I said when I started off, this has been an absolute pleasure to get to sit down. I I know know it sounds crazy, but it is. I I enjoy uh, talking with you. Uh, because I feel like it makes me better. You know, uh, the, somebody will listen, and if you, I guess, if you can help one person, you know, it's worth it. But it's uh, September, and that's uh, you know the uh, month that is uh, for you know suicide awareness, and so I think that this is the kind of stuff right here that helps folks, you know, helps folks be resilient. Uh, hearing their leaders talk, uh, hearing them talk about real stuff, hearing them share their story, uh, because you know we're 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 all trying to figure it out. As we we go through this, and we're all trying to do the right thing, uh, by you know our, our ourselves, our unit, our families, our country, you know the army. There's no there 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 are manuals and and, and FMs, but I mean shit, we're just trying to figure it out. So,
1: now I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for the invite. Uh, as much as this makes me uncomfortable as shit, but like uh...
0: only a couple of times I could t- only a couple of times I felt like I saw saw, saw a little squirming, but don't feel bad. I'm the same way. This isn't my forte. I just happen to find, find myself doing it. All right. Well, hey, uh, if you listened, hey, thanks and uh, have a great day.